My dad and his boyhood friend, Mr. Ron, and my dad, Don. All right, you guys, what's going on? It's episode number 282 now of the Ron and Don Show. What is up, Ron and Don Nation? Yeah, we're live from the Les Schwab Studios. And coming up on the Ron and Don Show, we're going to tell you about the prom dress that nobody wanted. Yeah, I know I didn't want it. But uh, anyway, it's a pretty important special prom dress, and you might be interested in it. I'll tell you about it here in a few moments. Also, uh, what happened in Florida? Ron's parents live in Florida. A lot of us have relatives, people we love and care about live in Florida. And with the collapse of that building last week, will we see more collapses to come? I'll tell you why I think that may be true. Before we get to that, though, let's get to this. Just last week, Bill Cosby was two years in prison. He was looking at three to ten in federal pen. Uh, he went in with a with a cane, and what's really interesting, once he got in the penitentiary, he put the cane away. Didn't need the cane anymore. Uh, he says that he's still 100% blind, which is interesting. Uh, he was having a sleep on his cot. He's awakened to find out that, uh, well, his conviction had been overturned on a technicality. By now, you probably know what the technicality is, so I don't want to sit here and argue about the technicality. But let's not forget, there were over 60 women that came forward that said, yeah, that guy drugged me and raped me. He even admitted, he even admitted that he went out and bought quaaludes and he bought quaaludes so he could have sex with women. Uh, He is out of prison now. Uh, They expect him to start doing a prison tour on his first night. He had some pizza. And he also said he did not allow his family to come visit him, including his wife, Camille. He said he was in the Navy for four years. He wanted to keep a strong mindset and he didn't want to start missing home. So he didn't want family members to come by and see him in prison. He said he would see them when he got out. He's out 83 years young. Ron, what's your take on uh, Mr. Cosby here, and then we'll talk about Mrs. Huxtable here in a moment. Uh, there, there's so many uh, layers to this, but uh, my stomach turned when I saw this this uh, verdict. And to get, be let out for a sex crime on a technicality, I, I despise those type of attorneys. I despise those type of rulings uh, for this reason. When you are victimizing another person, um, and especially if it's someone that's vulnerable, like these women were, because you said with the introduction of drugs and he would famously uh, spike people's drinks and, and have sex with them while they were incapacitated. When it involves that, when it involves uh, children, when it involves animals, when there are cases where you have uh, situations like that and you're going to raise a technicality to get out of it. I, I find that absolutely deplorable. Uh, the attorneys that are involved in this, I find deplorable. Uh, the Supreme Court of the state of Pennsylvania, if their hands were bound, I guess, uh, where they had no other choice, 
it seems like you're the Supreme Court. You would have a choice. It, it all goes back to that you get the justice you can pay for, not the justice you deserve. Uh, he made his fortunes in comedy and with The Cosby Show uh, as a, a creator and executive director or executive producer, writer, all that stuff. He got many, many paychecks off of that show and in syndication. So he got the justice he could pay for. And if you think about all these women that were either bought off with their silence, uh, statute of limitations had expired. He had threatened them into silence. Uh, he had paid them but before it got to court. Um, he was able to be a serial rapist, for lack of a better word, uh, for many, many, many years in broad daylight. And I know we're going to get to Felicia Rashad in a minute because I have a lot of thoughts about that as well. But I find this disgusting. I believe these women were sexually abused. I believe he should have died in jail. Yeah. What do you you think the turn on is for that? Because he was a guy that had power. He is a guy that did what James Franco did. In fact, James Franco just wrote a check for $2.2 million to two women that said, hey, you had this school, you had power over us, you said you were using this school to possibly put us in one of your movies, and what you're really doing is just trying to have sex with us. Bill Cosby uh, was a guy who was on the Mod Squad. He was the voice of a lot of characters in Fat Albert. He was very created, uh, creative, very well respected. When you talk to comedians even today, a lot of what they do on stage they pattern after Bill Cosby. If you listen to comedians in cars getting coffee, you hear multiple comedians in there talk. They just talk about the prestige and and just the 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 overall talent and the ability that Bill Cosby had when he could step on a stage and do a show on a Friday night completely different than the one he did on Thursday. Very Robin Williams-esque. What's interesting to me is a lot of these women would have probably just been interested in him. A lot of these women would have probably dated him. A lot of these women... If may, he wasn't married. They have, no, give me a break. Yeah, I guess that like you're that, right. ma- like that matters. G- give me a break. This is, we're, we're, we're talking about Hollywood here. So, so why do you think he had to take that extra step? Because he's a criminal. Of doing something that he didn't need to do because a lot of these women would have been attracted to him and some of them would have probably slept with him anyway. He's a criminal. Like, like, and that's the thing. That, that doesn't we, answer it for me, though. When you say well, he's a, he, he's a he's criminal. He's some sort of social or sexual psychopath. Hmm. I mean, the, the, we always, in whatever reason in America, we want to believe that someone at their greatest is them all the time. Whether you're an athlete, whether you're a performer, uh, whether you're a politician, you, we want to believe that, you know, if you're the president of the United States, you're great all the time. Or if you're uh, if you score that game winning touchdown, you're phenomenal all the time. No, like Bill Cosby. Yeah, he had a comedic mind. He's a great television writer and producer. He's a great stand up comedian. Like none of that goes away. But he's also a sexual psychopath. And someone that had some sort of kink in him that led him to do criminal acts. And so those two things can exist at the same time. And it did exist in the same time with Bill Cosby. He even had routines about drugging people. He had a famous routine about Mm. Spanish fly. Really? Oh, yeah. That went back decades. And it doesn't mean that the routine wasn't even funny. Mm. Like uh, Chappelle can do some skits and sketches in his comedy that are very edgy. 
but he's not a sexual psychopath. Yeah. You know, he is, he's actually telling a joke. It turns out that Bill Cosby wasn't necessarily telling a joke. So I, I can't explain it because it's a criminal act. He's doing criminal things yeah. uh, in, in these scenarios. What's interesting about him is you, you know at the age of 83, he's going to tour again. And, and he'll probably tour prisons. I mean, he, he has to have the stage. He has to have the spotlight. Uh, and they said that he was very much that way. What's more alarming to me on that is there will be people that will pay money to go see that. Yeah. So let's talk about Mrs. Huxtable. Uh, Everybody on that show was getting rich because of all the money that was paid to them during syndication. We we talk a lot about Seinfeld and the money that they have made after doing Seinfeld and syndication. With the Cosby show, that just stopped. Do you think the Cosby show should ever come back? Um, well, those are two different things. Felicia Rashad should be ashamed of herself. She was recently given the job of the Dean of Arts, of uh, Fine Arts at Howard University. Howard University. Very yeah. prestigious. Yeah. And when this happened, she tweeted out her support for Bill Cosby saying that it finally, and this was a miscarriage of justice. Then she had to, she kind of backtracked, but didn't retract her first statement she then, uh, after the heat came down, said, oh, well, I, I support sexual victims and, uh, you know, I want to be supportive of that and et cetera, et cetera. But she never retracted what she said about Bill Cosby. So this reference is what I said before. People want to believe in the version of someone else that they hold to the highest esteem for whatever reason that is. And I, I, I don't know her. I don't know anything about her other than her public-facing persona. So for whatever reason, she wants she has a version of Bill Cosby that she wants to believe is the well, one and she, truly... She had to go back to work as a, as a dean at Howard University, and she used to be a superstar on the Cosby Show. It sounds, it sounds to me like she wants to see that show back in syndication and start printing money again. That's her, what I think. Her and Ahmad Rashad, I believe, have made enough money in their life, I, unless they spent it frivolously, I think, to live a very comfortable life uh, for the rest of their life. Um, yeah, I mean, again, I think it's, if there's an audience for something, they should be allowed to watch it. People still go to Woody Allen movies. People still listen to R. Kelly music. People still buy Michael Jackson records. Like they're all, those are all sexual predators and people still, I see people vociferously supporting Michael Jackson online all the time. And the dude, you know, was a pedophile and people still like his music. Yeah. I, I, what I don't like is when stars come out specifically, they say something on Twitter, which she did, and then you get side-checked and into the boards, and then you and then you come out and, and try to correct it. It's like the correction is not your heart. Her reaction is her heart. Right. That's the way she's thinking. That's the way she's feeling. So let's have that discussion, right? Yeah. We'll continue the discussion on the other side of this. If you're downsizing, upsizing, or right-sizing, Ron and Don can help you buy, sell, or invest in real estate. It all starts with a Ron and Don sit-down. I had grown to trust the image of Ron and Don. 
you know, doing their, their advocacy for all the charities and stuff that they do. And I thought, well, they seem like good guys. Let's go for it. When I uh, decided to put my home on the market, it was a natural for me to choose them to list the property. Ron and Don proposed a sit-down, so they came over to our house. They came super prepared, and they came more in learning mode, right, and what was important to each of us. When we first sat down, they showed me what property was selling for in my neighborhood. They had several suggestions on, you know, when we should go on the market, what we needed to do to get ready to go on the market. They were precise and clear. They managed our expectations well. If Don saw, you know, a risk or an area of concern he wanted us to be aware of, they just they just did a superb job. And they seemed personally interested in the houses we would tour. I think both of them said at some point when we were apologizing at how many houses we looked at, said, we love looking at houses. They didn't hesitate to jump in and make this the house for us. They do have a way of making you feel like they're your only client. <laughs> That's super important to me. I don't think we'd have this house if it hadn't been for Ron and Don. I think I was just so impressed with the quality of the work that they did. We had multiple offers, $50,000 more than the asking price. He had no contingencies, so I jumped on that one. It was the best case scenario. We couldn't have done better. It couldn't have been a better experience. The buying process was wonderful, and the selling process felt like we were their most important project. I couldn't be happier with the experience we had. I can't wait to do another deal with them. It was great. It was awesome. When you're ready to sit down with Ron and Don and start your real estate journey, schedule your time with the guys at ronanddonsitdown.com. Thanks for listening to The Ron and Don Show. Please hit subscribe. All right, you guys, uh, welcome back to The Ron and Don Show. Real quick, want to give a shout-out to Paul. Who's Paul? Oh, Paul's our uh, editor in the in uh, the UK, and he's done, this is his 101st, I believe, or 102nd episode he's edited for us. So a uh, shout-out to him. He's got a new gig coming his way and a, a big part of The Ron and Don radio team. Yeah, so thanks to him and... We really appreciate him. Thanks, Paul. And and COVID has been rough on on him and people in the in the UK. Oh my gosh, absolutely! I think it's going on two years now. Uh, hasn't been able. He he got fined for going to the gym. Yeah, uh, just to try to get out of his house, like uh, a significant fine. Unbelievable. And so it's it's been it's been tough. Yeah. What's also unbelievable? The, these numbers won't be correct, so I won't even give the numbers. By now, it's been a couple weeks uh, at the time that you're hearing this, and we recorded this uh, a couple days ago. Uh, but the time you're hearing this, it's been a couple weeks since almost 150 U.S. citizens just vanished under a pile of rubble. It is heartbreaking. I cannot turn on the news and watch this. I just can't. I can't. I, I just, after uh, leaving Terrestrial Radio, I canceled CNN. I canceled Fox. I canceled MSNBC. Uh, I don't watch the news. I read it for this podcast, and I read the, read the headlines typically at some point in the morning and also at some point in the evening uh, just to stay on top of things. And I try to read headlines like from NPR where it's not too opinionated and also BuzzFeed where it's very opinionated. But the point being, after walking away from news talk uh, for so long, it is very nice to give my brain a break. And and Ron, I don't know how you feel about that, uh, but I, I look at this story in Florida and I think it gives us all PTSD from what we saw on 
and you see these searchers that have come from all over the world, including this incredible team led by this incredible general from Israel. Uh, and they have, they're all self-contained, uh, and they bring their dogs and their expertise and their love, and they stand on that pile. And at this point in time, the rest of the building hasn't crumbled yet, but they have been pulled off the pile uh, the president, as we're recording this, showed up today, and he is speaking, trying to be, be the comforter uh, in chief. When you look at what happened here in Florida, and they're already blaming it on a bunch of different things, and I bet at the end of the day, it probably was a bunch of different things. Uh, Ron, what is your take on what you see in Florida right now, and do you think we'll see more structures like this uh, collapse in the future, uh, well, obviously, your the first reaction is is the people that lost their lives, especially the children that lost their lives in this, is absolutely heartbreaking. And you just think about those families that are impacted and the ripple effects it'll have across geography and generations of time. Uh, it's very incredibly sad. Um, I, I think about the recent developments now a little differently now that we've got into real estate, and you think about this volunteer HOA board that they have uh, for this condominium building that collapsed. And evidently there's a 2018 report. And so for those of you that have never lived in a condo or don't work with a condo, when you're a condominium association of that size, typically it's professionally managed. This group decided to, to be volunteer managed. Why would they do that? Because it's Cause cheaper? You, it's, it's significantly cheaper. Because you live, you live in a condo and you've been a manager in, of your condo. I've been on the HOA board for a long time. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's majority rules in one of these scenarios. And so if you're in a, if you're in a large condominium, you want to do what's called a reserve study. And so a reserve study is basically this. You hire a professional firm to come in and they're going to analyze your property. And so they are going to help you come up with a game plan that says, hey, you have, uh, let's say, 500 units in this property. It's valued at, at this many tens of millions of dollars. And so let's create a schedule. Five years from now, you're going to need to replace the roof. And 10 years from now, we think that these windows are going to need to. So they, they, they go through and they look at the structure. They look at the at all the building and the property as a whole. And then they create a schedule and they say, if you want to do this, here's how much money you should be saving. You should be setting aside money for a new roof now. And so it creates this schedule, creates a pay table. And then you take that to the members and you present it to them. You say, we've had this reserve study done. Do we want to increase the dues uh, by this amount so that in five years we can do a roof. And so that, that's the type of thing that happens. So they did a reserve study. The reserve study called out some structural issues in this Florida building. And then the battle began on the board. And so I've been in these battles because this is, I have a very small condominium unit and there's a battle between people that want to keep the dues as low as possible. That's a feature to them. Uh, versus people that want to pay in advance for uh, something that's going to happen in five years' time. And so there's a real tug of war there. And and I see both sides. So if you're a, a monthly dues low person, you say, I don't know if I'm going to be here in five years. Um, if I'm here and we need to do the roof, 
just send me a bill and I'll do a one-time assessment. Maybe it'll be $4,000 for it will be my share of the roof. I'll, I'll stroke a check for four grand. Future me is going to deal with that. I, I get that. That's a total valid point of view. Because they want cash in the, they want they, they cash in the pocket now and they want to keep HOA. Uh, keep their payments low. Yeah. The people that are more planners, and this is just, I think, part of a personality type, says, hey, if we increase our dues 50 bucks a month, then there is no check in the future. And so we just pay for it. And so that's a valid point And it's as well. put in a combined in a, re- reserved account, it's right? It's put in an account and it's earmarked for the roof. Mm-hmm. So this particular HOA, it looks like that the HOA president was like, we need, I think it was like $9 million or something. It was not a cheap assessment. It's like, we need to s- set aside some money now to make these repairs. And there were people, reasonable people, they're going, that's a lot of money. I don't think our membership can afford $9 million in addition to their rent, in addition to their mortgage payment, in addition to the regular maintenance that we have to do month in and month out. And so they didn't do anything. They did not. They, this volunteer HOA board did not, uh, not that they didn't do anything. They didn't make the repairs because they were trying to figure out how we're going to pay for these repairs. And so then this, this catastrophe happened. And so now you have uh, people that are looking to blame someone and they're going to look to this HOA board and try maybe the insurance company or whatever. Um, my heart goes out to them because, man, it is a, a thankless job to be on an HOA board. Mm. It, it takes a tremendous amount of energy, tremendous amount of time. Uh, people treat you like uh, you're, you're hired staff when you're not. You're, you're an owner just the way they are. And so I feel for them. They're they're not experts in structures. I, I don't, at least I don't think I haven't said seen anyone on there as a structural engineer. There's people that are owners in the building, giving their time away for free, and now a catastrophe happens. So um, yes, it's a tragedy. Yes, it's it's uh, people have lost their lives. Can you point to this this particular HOA and say this is a hundred percent on you? I don't think so. If the membership voted to not do the assessment and repairs, then it's on every person that gave the no vote, like turn around and sue yourself. So if you had 500 units and 280 of them said, nope, we don't want a $9 million assessment. Then I think there's the blame goes to everybody. that Think about what they did and they built on a Sandy beach. Uh, There is a complex next to them that has condos in it that are worth 50 and $60 million. They said as they were building that, they could feel their building shake. On top of that, I used to be a car wholesaler in my 20s. I had a team. We'd buy cars in Florida, ship them up here to Seattle. Uh, the ones that we would ship up to Seattle that we would sell at, at auction, uh, you would see guys go in with paint cans, and they would paint all the engine blocks. And the reason they'd paint all the engine blocks is because you could tell the ones that had been exposed to the ocean air. Even these some of these brand new cars that are only two and three years old, they start to rust quickly from that ocean air, from all the salt in the air. On top of that, you're building on a sandy beach, right? Uh, and then on top of that, you have this exposed rebar uh, that is beginning to degrade in the same way that these cars would degrade even after two and three years that we buy down in Florida. On top of that, you have a structure that was built around the pool and there started to be a leak in the parking garage and they had built a flat slab uh, underneath and near the pool and there was nowhere 
for the water to drain. It should have been sloped, not straight. And everybody knows when you're building something, your biggest concern, like even the house that we're sitting in right now, because there's so much rain in the Pacific Northwest, I kept thinking about water, water, water. What are we going to do with the water? When I built the dadu that's in the backyard, it'll be done in a couple of weeks. The number one conversation that you have with the city and that you also have with every inspector that comes out here is about the water. What are you doing about the water? What are you doing about the water that's going to come down to get the water away from the structure? We don't want that water then rushing over to your neighbor's house. So how do we contain that water? How do we pump that water? Uh, Can we pump that water uh, up into uh, the sewer system and the sewer drains around here? Uh, Do we have the capabilities of even doing that? And one of the problems that we have in Seattle is a lot of the sewers around here are disintegrated, right? It's one of the reasons why every time you buy a house, they're like, well, we have to do a sewer scope. And we find out that half the time that, that our sewers on a single family home has a lot of problems. And a fix on that could be anywhere between $500 and $30,000, $40,000 if it goes out toward the main line. So that was a big, big mistake. That was something, that's part of the $9 million fix that they were going to go in. They were going to build a slope. They are going to shore that up. And they were going to deal with all the water that was coming in and all the crumbling rebar. So I think what they're going to find is there's a numerous things that have happened here all at one time. On top of that, at the last moment, you had a contractor go in and say, you know what I'm going to build on top of this is a really kick penthouse, which he built. And of course, that penthouse came crumbling to the ground and a pile drove just on top of people in the middle of the night. And I think these confluences, uh, I think we could see more of this as we deal with water rising, as we deal with more storms, ferocious storms. As we deal with a lot more heat, especially here in the Pacific Northwest, it's just as hot as it's ever been. Portland, Oregon, 118. Here in Seattle, 108. That affects the structures of buildings and what happens with porous concrete and what happens with rebar. It, it affects all that. So don't think that what we're experiencing right now with global warming doesn't affect uh, the buildings and the homes around us. All right? We will see you on the other side of this. Hi, this is Therese, the new buyer specialist for all of you in the Ron and Don Nation. If you're going to win a house in such a competitive market, you better have a good strategist. And that's what I specialize in. When you're ready to sit down with us, go to ronanddonsitdown.com. And now back to the show. All right, you guys, welcome back to the Ron and Don Show. As you just heard, we are licensed brokers at Windermere. Currently, uh, we have a great listing in Renton, Washington. In fact, Coach Paul Arnold. Cleveland High School, you remember him three years ago. We all got together and we helped build Cleveland Field. Well, he and his beautiful wife, Stacy, and their family are growing, growing, growing. It's time to move. So it's time to sell that house. So anyway, Paul is just not a coach. He's a great cop and uh, he was a standout. You probably remember him at the University of Washington. So all you have to do is go to ronadonsitdown.com, check out that listing, and we have a 
ton of listings coming on this summer and this fall, and we can't wait to share these listings with you. If you're thinking about listing your home, or you're thinking about buying a home, investing a home, what should people do, Ron? Yeah, you can email me directly, ron at windermere.com, or you, like Don said, you can uh, go to ronandonsitdown.com and learn a lot more. Yeah. Uh, you just recently had a flood. You've been through a couple floods, uh, and I don't know if you know this about Ron. Ron is a Ron is a shoe guy. He has really cool shoes. Uh, many times I'll go months and never see him in the same pair of shoes ever. And then and then when when I rushed over your house when it was flooding, I figured it out. I was like, oh my god! Like every closet there was a shoe in it. There were shoes. There were just there were shoes everywhere, which I actually thought was cool. And you may think you lost some of the, the shoes in the flood. I might have swiped some of them. Yeah, I, yeah, I know have... you had your eyeballs on a couple. <laughs> the green, couple whatever the shoes. green tennis shoe uh, shoe is, I really. So Ron has Ron has a shoe thing, uh, and I I, I want to know from you before I go in this story because I'm going to tell you a story about a prom dress. What what is the hardest thing for you to give away? Uh, I know what mine is, especially when it comes to clothing items. What what what's hard for give, you to give like up? give away or to get rid of? Well, I'm, same thing. But a, but a clothing item where you're, where you're just like you know you shouldn't be hanging on to it, but you're like ah this 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 thing Probably costs some, a lot of money it's, or it's, it's great quality cost. or it'll come back around again. You have you have all these discussions with yourself. I know I do when I stand in the closet and I look at stuff that I haven't worn in years. Well, it's it's most of the time it is is cost. Like, cause I, I put on a couple pounds during COVID and I have a few pairs of pants that don't fit. I've stacked them in this area and I'm like, I'm getting back into those pants. <laughs> so one of them even still has a tag on it. Right. So it's like, I'm getting back into these pants. Yep. Uh, I'm on the road to dropping those COVID pounds. So you have a, you have a, you have so a, I haven't given them away. Have you have thrown them away. What if they're still there in six months? In the six months, I'm getting back in those pants. What if, it, what because, if it's a year from now? Because uh, I always remember the story of Arnold Palmer was teased for being a little pudgy, mm-hmm. uh, I believe, at a U.S. Open. And so he went out and he bought the pair of golf pants. And he said, by the U.S. Open next year, uh, I'm going to fit in those pants and I'm winning this tournament. So you're going to wear them. And, and he did. He did. That's great. And so by the following year, he had lost the pudge. He fit into those pants and and he won that tournament. So you're saying one year from now you're going to be wearing Arnold Palmer's pants, correct? And you're, and you're going to be in the U.S. Open. I will be winning the U.S. Open. This is fantastic. Yes, yeah. step you're one. not going to be in it. You're going to win it. I need to get a set of golf clubs. That's that's good. Yeah. For me, it was always my Seahawk stuff, and then and then I started looking at past pictures, and I'm like, I look like a Seahawk mascot. I do, and, and I'm like, I got to get rid of some of this stuff. So I'm I'm down to a heavy Seahawk jacket and a light Seahawk jacket. And I have one Seahawk T-shirt. That's it. And you know, I had like Seahawk land going on down in my basement, and it was painted all the Seahawk colors and everything else. And so I, I think for me, getting rid of some of that really cool Seahawk gear was hard for me. Did you keep the helmets? Uh-uh. No. Wow. Because no. you had helmets and... Gave it all away. <laughs> That's yeah. crazy. I've shared that story before. And anyway, this is, this is kind of interesting to me. Uh, Ron and I used to work with an organization called Brides Against Breast Cancer. Fran Hansen ran it out of Oregon. And what they would do is they would collect gently used wedding dresses. And then she... Fran's background, she was kind of a wedding coordinator... And so she would get this truck and trailer that actually our show, our listeners, you guys, you bought uh, for her. And then they would drive all the way around the country and they would sell these gently used wedding dresses. Then we would use that money to help women 
that had breast cancer, we would help them with kind of a, a memory. So it was kind of cool. Anyway, this story kind of reminds me of this. Uh, there was an owner of a boutique in Pennsylvania, and she, she takes in gently used clothes and tries to give them a new life. And she ended up with a prom dress, but attached to this prom dress was this really personal note. And like, a, it was a really long note. And when you look at the prom dress, it, there, there is nothing exceptional. Uh, I know my prom dresses. There is nothing exceptional about this particular this sidebar. Prom dress. I just, I remember even in high school watching the young women that thought the strapless dress was a good idea when they were 16 Yeah, and just watching them all night going, Oh, big mistake. Yeah. Should have had some straps. I always felt bad because I always like, like you get the really long four inch needle to put the, the flower in. And I would always poke girls in the boob and they would bleed and their mom would have to get a band aid. And I always felt bad about that. Yeah, You're so. not good with. Uh, with- <laughs> anyway, uh, Jillian Nimnak, she went to TikTok, which is, it's, it's, it's interesting how people are starting to use TikTok now, right? Because it's become more of a mainstream influencer. In fact, I don't know if you saw the other day, they kind of had the TikTok games. In the same way, back in the day on TV land, you would have Greg Brady uh, come out and fight someone from, uh, I don't know, Danny Partridge from the Partridge family. Now they have TikTok users uh, come over from Instagram and they're having boxing matches online of all the influencers, which I think is really funny. Anyway, Jillian Nimnak, uh, she went to TikTok. This was uh, mid-June recently. She asked the public's help and find the original owner of the prom dress. She put up the teal prom dress. And then uh, she put up this note. And then I'm not going to read the whole note to you, but it basically it begs people to give this dress a chance. Uh, the original owner actually saw her dress and saw her note. She reached out to the boutique owner, and she said that she had gotten the gown from a sales rack because her family was too poor to actually buy a prom dress. And these dresses at the time, she said, uh, were about 300 bucks, and they couldn't afford it. So she said, while she didn't automatically fall in, the, in love with the dress at first sight, uh, she came around, she tried it on, she went to prom, and she goes on to say that she attended prom with her high school sweetheart and that they planned on getting married in 2020. This was back in 2014. This dress has been floating around for years. And so the boutique owner reached back out to her and she said, well, what happened? And she said, I actually ended up marrying my sweetheart. Wow. That I went to prom with uh, in it's a this lucky dress. dress. Yeah, so she feels like even though that the dress is kind of ugly, uh, and she knows it's kind of ugly. Uh, and look at this. No, look how and you can't see this listening to the radio, but look how long the note that is, is. A very long note that she penned. And so anyway, if, if if you are interested in this dress, and I have to imagine it, it must be gone by now, right? It's sitting in a small boutique in Pennsylvania. This note is there, and she calls the dress, uh, give this dress a chance, is the name of, of the dress, because maybe great things could happen for you, too, but it's time this broadcast. Nobody has claimed the dress quite yet. He's wrong. I'm Don. You've given us great lives. You've made us your, your friends. You've made us your real estate brokers, which we really appreciate. And guys, thanks for supporting this broadcast and really supporting our sponsors like Les Schwab and so and, and especially our real estate ride at Windermere. It has been quite a ride. Uh, we are halfway this year and we have sold our first year. We sold about $20 million in real estate. 
we're six months into this year, and I think we've already sold over $20 million in real estate. Oh, we're close. Yeah. Not, not yet, but we're very close. We're about 20, and we're halfway there. So anyway, you guys, thanks for doing that, and thanks for helping us, and uh, thanks for allowing us to help you. It's been a lot of fun. If you need us, reach out. You can go to ronadonsitdown.com. We do sit-downs uh, every morning, and sometimes people just want to chat about the journey or where they're at. Other times, people pick up the phone like Andrea did the other day, and she said, you know what? I'm working. I'm taking care of my parents. My house needs a lot of work. I don't have the time, and so I went to see Andrea yesterday, and I met her dad, Reed, and I said, you know what, Andrea? Give me your keys. I'm going to take care of it. We're going to get this house tuned up, and then the next thing you know, we're going to put it on the market and we're going to put a lot of money in your pocket and you are going to get on with it and having a great life and on to new adventures uh, with your parents. Okay. Anyway, if you need us like Andrea did, ronadonsitdown.com. You can also write Ron direct, ronadwindemere.com. Please hit subscribe. Thanks for all the five-star ratings. Thanks for writing great reviews and thanks for continuing to listen every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And again, thanks for sponsoring and supporting uh, our good friends at Les Schwab. Head up, shoulders back. We'll see you next time for episode 280. What? 283? That's unbelievable. Only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Keep your head up and your shoulders back. And we'll see you next time on the Ron and Don Radio Network. 